Hello, and welcome to Real Talk, Real People, Real Conversation with Charmaine. Today, our topic is about domestic violence, and I have a guest named Latifa Latine who's going to be on here to speak to us today regarding about domestic violence and her experience. But today, I just want to just thank my audience for always being present to listen to uh conversation that's relevant that will help us to uplift and motivate and be able to be empowered with a stimulated conversation to help bring awareness to whatever situation that we're going through or someone in our family that we can help so we can live in our authentic self. So thank you very much for tuning in. This is the month of Domestic Violence Month Awareness, and today I wanted to talk about domestic violence. Um, and how it has impacted so many people's lives. And just this week, I had had a conversation with a young lady, and who would have thought that she experienced domestic violence and she didn't know? And I come across a lot of young ladies who had been in a foster system program, and unfortunately, you know, um, situations had occurred where, you know, they were raped, molested, treated, disrespectful inhumanity where, you know, they thought it was normal, you know, and they grow up in this lifestyle thinking everything is okay and come to find out that it is not okay until something dramatically happens in their life. And so this particular lady who I was speaking to just the other day, um, you know, we were talking and um, I was just asking her what was she doing, and she was saying that she was uh, actually studying um, to be a certified uh, domestic violence coach. And I said, really? She said, yes, because I experienced it all my life, and I really didn't know. And she shared that how she was, you know, um, in the foster system, and, you know, after 18, they kick you out, and then she end up uh, getting involved in a relationship with a young man, and, you know, that domestic violence started to happen. She started to get abused, and, you know, emotionally, physically, and she thought it was normal, but she also felt that after a while, it, it wasn't normal. She says, this is not how I should supposed to be treated. And then she ended up having children, and uh, the children, uh, the police had to come because I guess a neighbor reported, you know, some issues that was going on, and her children was taken away from her. And I believe she had five children, she mentioned. And um, with that being said, that's when she realized that she was in a domestic violence situation, and she was just so shocked and so ashamed that she didn't know. And, you know, sometimes we don't realize uh, the situations that we are brought up in thinking everybody else around us is brought up in that same situation, so we end up living our life as if it's okay because nobody talks about it. And so I'm grateful to hear that October is the month of awareness where people is, you know, um, speaking out about it, saying, no, it's not okay, and we have to be able to uh, – be more conscious of ourselves and know that we are worthy and we should be giving ourselves self-love and self-care. And if somebody else is not doing it, we need to make sure we take care of ourselves. But when someone do come into our life, at least we know what self-love and self-care look like. So if that's not what they've given to us, then we need to back off from that individual. So today that's what our topic is about. And today um, – like I said, we have a beautiful lady, and her name is Latifa 
um, Hameen, Hameen, and she is a victorious survivor of domestic abuse, and she has um, that has impacted her life throughout the years. And she became a certified life relationship coach and a certified domestic abuse awareness trainer and a self-talk trainer and so much more. And she is such a beautiful woman, so we're going to have her come on shortly and talk about her journey. And um, and so we can kind of get a little bit more enlightened of what does the method look like and how can we help empower somebody else and when do we know when to step in and when do we not know when to step And so, you know, I have another situation where maybe probably about 10 years ago I had a girlfriend who I was hanging out with, and on a weekend I'll go pick her up, and she had a little son, and she had a boyfriend, but I didn't know that she was being abused until one day she was just opened up, and she opened up to me and said, you know, Charmaine, I'm being abused. He is beating me, and I don't know what to do, you know, and I was so devastated because all this time she was with this guy. I did not know that this actually was taking place. I had no idea that my girlfriend was going through what she was going through. And here it is, we just laughing and joking and enjoying ourselves and come to find out, you know, she was being miserable um, sad and everything inside. And so, you know, sometimes people can put a mask on and pretend their world is so beautiful until they open up and share. And so from that moment, we got help, and she exited herself from that relationship, you know. And the sad thing about it is that she had a teenager. I think her daughter had to be, I think, maybe 17 years old while she was um, being raised in that environment. And her daughter just up and left, and um, she became homeless because she did not want to be in an environment that her mother was being seduced to, and her mother felt that she couldn't get away. So the daughter said, look, I'm out of here, you know. And um, to this this day now, her and her daughter had a beautiful relationship and everything, but her daughter had to go, and she never told me why her daughter left. But then later, once I found out what she was going through, I understood because sometimes it's hard for a child to see a mother being abused, especially when you're old enough and you can do something, but mom just wasn't ready to walk away. And that's the challenging part. When people in your family know you're being abused and want you to walk away, but you don't walk away, that's the part where sometimes, you know, people don't know how to help. That being said, we have, um, I'm going to bring in my guest, um, Sister Latifa, and then we're going to go ahead and have a beautiful conversation. So thank you for joining us. One moment. Hey, Salam Alaikum, Sister Latifa, you there? Oh, wow, look at my salam. Yes, ma'am, I am here. How are you today? Thank you for joining. I know you got a busy schedule, but I just want to thank you so much for taking this time out to come and be on the podcast and share your journey as well as share your story of um and, and then then also as well share how you impact other women. So um today, you know, we're gonna talk about domestic domestic violence. Is there anything that you like to share real fast, you know, to let the audience know a little bit about you? Yes, ma'am. Can you hear me okay or Yes, yes, I can hear you very fine, but I mean if you want Can you hear me? Okay. I just want to make sure. Ken, I didn't know <laughs> you can hear me really well. Yes, I am Alatita Ahamid, 
I am, as you stated, a victorious survivor of abuse, um, in and out of abusive relationships for about 20 years of my life, my adult life. And um, it was really horrendous. Uh, I didn't know a lot about domestic violence. I know you said about your friend that didn't know much about it. I also did not know because when I grew up, we didn't talk about domestic abuse. That wasn't something that was very um, prevalent out here in the society at that particular time. And so when that happened, thought it was part of life. Growing up, my dad, you know, uh, he abused my mom. I was indirectly uh, abused. I say indirectly because it was never turned on me. I grew up in a large family, but it was a lot of abuse, uh, more uh, emotional for my mom, but then sometimes it did get violent. It was a lot of cursing. It was a lot of um, verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And uh, Okay, well, hold on, Latifa. Before you get too deep in it, I wanted to ask you some questions. Hold on. So, 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 actually, so let's, let's ask some questions. So what state were you born? Where were you born? Well, I was actually born in Mississippi, but I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I don't know much about being born there because uh, my parents migrated to Milwaukee, Wisconsin when I was two. So that's the only place that I know of growing up in was Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. All right. Is that where you're currently at now? No, no, ma'am. I am in Dallas, Texas. I live in the Dallas, Texas area. Okay. All right. And then, uh, and, 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 um, so, so were you raised with both of your parents? You mentioned about your mom and dad. So you was raised with both of your parents? I, I was raised with 10 brothers and sisters uh, in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, I was raised okay. with both of my parents. Um, my father was, uh, he was a cab driver, so he was robbed and killed uh, uh, when I was uh, around 21. Okay, okay, around 21. Okay. And so now, so now the question is, growing up, did you see and experience domestic violence? Because you kind of jumped in it, and I wanted to kind of pull you back a little bit so you don't give all the good details. So now, to get to elaborate a little bit about domestic violence as you're growing up in your immediate family. So can you go ahead and share that? Yes, ma'am. I sure will. <laughs> I know I, I jumped the gun. I get started and I just keep going. But uh, um, <laughs> when I was growing up, I was around, I guess about 10 or 11 when I really started to experience that, but I didn't know what it was. My dad would come home on Friday, and he was intoxicated, and then he would start in on my mother, and he would start arguing and, and you know, and cursing and things like that and accusing my mom of another man. And it was just, it really got kind of crazy. And as young as I was, I didn't know a lot about what was going on. So I would go into the closet, put my hands in my ears, and just close my mind off. It was very traumatic for me because I was saying, wow, why didn't he have to come 
and mess up, but I knew it was coming, and it was so scary for me. So going in there and putting my hands in my ears, and I was just so scared. And I felt like I was getting ripped. My heart was almost getting ripped. I didn't know what to do. So I just did the best thing I could do is try to, uh, you know, maybe put my hands in my ears so I could drown out the noise, the fussing, and the fighting, and that type of thing. So that's what I did as I was growing up. And so I say I was indirectly abused as a child. And I'll stop right there. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that, you know, vulnerable moment. So you say you were 10 and 11. So did, so, so did you have any siblings that was going through it, or were you the only child? No, it was ten. I, I grew up with ten brothers and sisters, and wow. I think you know, a person can grow up in a home, and we all have different experiences. I talked with my brothers and sisters, some of them, because I, I, I broke the cycle and I wrote my first book in 2000. So when, I, when my brothers and sisters, some of them read the book, and they were like, wow, I didn't know that you were going through that. Their experience was a little different than my experience, apparently, because no one, I was an emotional, I was really emotional about it. I don't know if any of my other brothers and sisters even experienced that or they felt that, but I, I went through. And some of my brothers and sisters said, oh, I didn't experience it the way that you did. And no one knew or we didn't call it domestic abuse at that time. It was like the everyone saw what was going on, but Egypt responded to it differently or acted as though it wasn't there. Wow. You know, that's, that's interesting that you shared how everybody had a different uh, point of view of their experience. Everybody's experience is something different. You know, being 10 or 11 years old, like you said, back then, you know, it wasn't the name domestic violence. It was just something, you know, dysfunct- we call it dysfunctional household. You know, everybody had something they were going through. You know, so when you had to experience that at a young age, how did that impact you growing up, you know, going to school and stuff like that? Well, I, you know, uh, Charmaine, I ended up having emotional issues in school. I was... I was in and out of the principal's office. I was always disruptive in the classroom. So it really affected me. I was I, I was traumatized. I'm just saying I was very traumatized. And I had a lot of emotional issues. And um, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't very favorable for me as a, uh, you know, growing up. And then as I became, you know, older, I still had those emotional issues. I actually started, you know, when I dated, I dated men that were the same caliber of my father. They were initially nice and everything, and then they were, they ended up being uh, domestic uh, abusers. And I guess you would say, how, why did I attract those kind of men? Well, see, to understand when you come as a victim and you come needy, men detect that type of thing. And once they detect that, then they come as rescuers. 
And as they come as a rescuer, then they that control more likely. When someone has to take care of you, one of my husbands told me, you don't know how to take care of yourself, so I have to take control and take care of you. Because if you come as a victim, they'll look at you as a victim and they'll treat you as a victim. And that's where the control and the abuse continues in the relationship. And I'll stop right there. You know what? You're, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and you know, um, based on our energy, can, can you hear me good? Yes, I can. Okay, good. Okay. So, you know, based on our energy, they say, you know, your energy attracts, um, you know, the, 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 the person that you're looking for. And you're absolutely right. You know, unfortunately, I don't know how that uh, dynamic takes place, but like you said, when someone comes into your life, you're looking for help. You know, you're looking for a rescuer, a rescuer to help you in your areas where you have uh, been wounded or have this void. You know, we're always trying to fill this void in our life. And so when we end up being or, you know, developing a relationship with somebody, we look to them for help, you know. And unfortunately, you know, men, we look for them as protectors, providers or whatever, but it all depends on how sufficient you are with yourself based on the needs that you need from your partner. And so you're absolutely right. I know a lot of females, you know, um, go into a relationship and we're always looking for something, and what we're looking for is something that we miss from our father or, you know, we're looking for a healer, somebody to help heal us, you know. So I definitely understand what you mean by that. And what age did you start? noticing that you started to track people like your father? Well, you know, as I was saying, I know it was all of my adult life, in and okay. out of um, relationship, because that's all I knew, Charmaine. That's all I knew. All I knew is how to be that victim, how to go into relationships, how to allow someone to abuse me. But, again, remember, I was indirectly. But then as a result of that, I took on that role as a victim. So whenever I, you know, dealt with men, I, they were initially a, a very uh, uh, nice. And then when they started turning and being, you know, being abusive, I kind of settled in. And like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But after, after a while, I got out of that only to get back into another relationship with an abuser. So I was in and out of abusive, if you will, relationships because that's all I knew till I finally broke that cycle. Okay. Now, ask your question. Now, I know you, you mentioned that your mother kind of went through it. Did you ever have a conversation with your mother later on once you realized what you were going through, or did she ever talk to you and the children about it and maybe wanted to escape from it or – have that conversation ever arise? Uh, not, not really. You know, my mother. Uh, my mother is. Thank God. You know, she's still with us at ninety nine. But um, Ooh, what the congratulations! Wow. I'm, I'm thankful. You know, she's she's in a nursing facility, but she's still. You know, she's still there. I'll praise due to God. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was. She did the best she could with what she had. She didn't grow up with her yes, mom. Her mom died when she was young. So she didn't have a lot of that 
kind of wisdom. You know, she was living with her uncle, and, and you know, and you were treated indifferently. So she got married when she was a very young woman. And so after you connect and you get married, then you just do, you just kind of wing it. You, 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 you do what you have to do. She didn't really have anyone to help her. And then so when I would bring certain things to her, she would kind of like, oh, okay, all right, all right. You know, she didn't really want to deal with those things because she didn't really know. She didn't have the answers. So then I realized that she did the best she could with what she had and the knowledge that she had. So she didn't really know. How are you going to teach me when you really don't know? You don't really know a lot about abuse, and you don't really know. You know something is not right. But to actually know that, okay, this is abuse. I would go and i try to talk to her because one day I, I was in an abusive relationship. I got on the bus. I didn't have any shoes on. I tried to, you know, went to her house. And then talking to my mom and, and everything about it, and she's like, oh, you know, it's the way people are sometimes. You know. So just making allowances and, and just kind of not knowing what to do, so you just do whatever you can. And um, mm-hmm. I just never really got the meat of what abuse was. And believe it or not, Charmaine, it wasn't until I was in my 30s, in my 30s before I even realized what uh, abuse was, what, what are the stages of abuse, until I learned that. I didn't learn that until I was in my 30s, and I stumbled across that because I was in a, um, I went to a domestic violence awareness. It was a group, and people were talking about domestic abuse, and I started squirming in my seat, and I was wondering, why can't, why was I feeling like that? I had buried this thing so deep within myself. I had to keep getting up, you know, leaving out the room, and I was wondering, why am I feeling so uncomfortable? I just did not know about domestic abuse. I just did not know the stages. I didn't know I was being abused. I know it was something in my life that wasn't right. So after that time, I when I went home and when I left that husband that I had at that time that was abusive, you know, I had I started writing. I started looking at it and I started studying uh, uh, domestic abuse, and I wrote my first book in 2006, and that's when I really started to get into what is this thing we call abuse? What are the stages of abuse? Why do people abuse? Why do people stay? So I really started getting into domestic abuse and learning about all I could about domestic abuse, and I started my agency uh, domestic uh, Healthy Positive Choices, it's a nonprofit that we do preventive on domestic abuse. I started that in 2011, but I wrote my first book in 2006. So I've been on this quest to eradicate domestic violence all of these years and having the domestic and then having my agency, Healthy Positive Choices, and then now being a relationship coach. So going from being abused and then, you know, writing the book and having the agency and then now, okay, what do you do once you get on the other side of abuse? So that's what I do now 
is what do you do? I can take you from, okay, being abused, and then what do you do once you get out of abuse? How do you rebuild your life and build and rebuild your self-esteem, be the person that you want to be? And I'll stop there. Well, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. And that's beautiful that it only took you till 30. You know, some people, it's taken to 50 and 60. I know someone who's going through it right now. And I think she's 50, 52 years old, 53 years old. And all her life she has been um, uh, mentally abused, you know, just bad talking, you know, being disrespectful from her, 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 her mother. And the thing about it is that she just adapts to it. She adapts to it, pay it no mind, just let it roll over her shoulder, let it roll off her shoulder to the fact where now she's in relationships and these guys are doing the same thing to her and she doesn't pay it no mind because she has allowed it to roll over her shoulder. So thank you very much for letting us know that you have a book. And what is the name of your book called? Well, I have, I have like eight books. Oh, eight books. Okay, so what is the first book? The first book was Suffering in Silence, Breaking the Cycle of Abuse. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Say it again. Suffering in Silence. And all of these are on Amazon. You can get all eight of my books on Amazon, Latifa, L-A-T-I-F, like in Father, A-H, Hameen, H-A-M as in Mary, E-E-N as in Nancy. And you can uh, go on Amazon, and all of these books are on Amazon. So just put my name in the search, and all of the books will come up. I have three, uh, four books on domestic abuse. I have a workbook. I have a workbook for youth, and I have a workbook for adults. I have a poetry book. I do poetry, and I have relationship. I have a couple of relationship books as well. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing it. But actually, a question: because it took you thirty, it took you until you got to thirty years to exit out your mm, marriage. You because you were married to the last one, right? Well, uh, I'm married currently. But the, the one before that, when I broke that cycle, that was in 2006. That's when I wrote my first book. Now, I, okay. when I, I, have, uh, I have a question. I have a question for you. When you say you broke, pardon me. I was going to say I'm when you said you broke the cycle. Well, I I left that last relationship in 2005. That's when I left the last abusive relationship in 2005. And then I wrote the book in 2006. Now, let me say to you all and say to the listening audience, you're only a step away from getting back into something else. You have to constantly be be aware, constantly be alert as to the domestic abuse because it can sneak up on you. And and people every day, we go through some kind of abuse in our lives on, you know, on a continuous basis. We do go through something in our lives. So there's going to be some kind of abuse. You have to be aware 
of the abuse that's coming up. And you have to make sure that you step out that abuse because I'm telling you, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, I will never be. Oh, no, because that comes up every now and then. So we have to constantly be aware of it, of abuse in our lives. Absolutely. So let me ask a question real fast. So when you said you broke it, for those who's listening, sometimes it's not always easy to exit out of a domestic relationship. So did you have a place to go? You know, did you think about it and plan it out before you exit? Yes, yes, ma'am. I um, I, I planned it, and I decided to – I was living in a different city, and I decided to um, get a, you know, a divorce. And so once I decided to get a divorce, I planned my move, and I – you know, and I got a, the last one was more mental abuse than physical abuse. This last one back in 2005. But it's just as tragic. Okay. Sometimes the okay. mental abuse is worse than the physical abuse. Although the physical has the scars, the mental, that can be a lifetime of scars. Okay? And then Absolutely. I in your I'm sorry, and if I could, I'm going to let you speak, and then if I could, I want to tell the tell the listening audience, I want to leave them with the five steps that they want to take as they begin to move out of an abusive relationship. Okay, okay. well, well you, you know, I just know that sometimes when you, when you said you planned and you got a divorce, and so for you it was an easy conversation to have because it's not always an easy conversation. Because I grew up, I used to have an uncle who used to uh, abuse his wife, and she would have black eyes. And she had five children, and whenever we hear, sometimes I would spend a night over there, and every time we would hear them fighting, it's like the kids would grab the bags, everybody get in the car, and we just be waiting, have the car running, because when she comes, we know we out. You know, and so it had to take, and he was a police officer, so it was really challenging for her to have that escape mechanism for her to be able to say, you know, I'm done. So when you said that it was easy for you, well, not you didn't say it was easy, I'm sorry. You, it, it came off as if, you know, you got a divorce or whatever. Yeah, but, and, that, and that's what I want to clarify. And that's what I just want to just share because it's not always easy for everybody. You know what I'm saying? And for you to make this last transition, for you to be able to, you know, to, to, to what you say, um, I say the word that you said, um, to cut this cord or cut this uh, cycle, how was it for you? All right. The first, and let me give you all, and because this is something that, that it just didn't wake up one morning and decide, okay, I'm out of here. It took me a while to get to this point. I did a lot of suffering. I did a lot of crying a lot of different things. It was very traumatic for me. So I just want to let you know that when I finally made that decision, these are the steps that I went through. The first step is you have to admit that you are in an abusive relationship. People don't admit they're in an abusive relationship. They say, oh, he only hits me here and there, or he only talks bad to me here and there. But you have to admit it. It's just like an alcoholic. You have to admit that you are in an abusive relationship. 
and admit that you have a role. All of us have a role. If, if we are a victim, we have a role in this abuse, whether you stay because financial, whether you stay because you're being uh, taken care of, whether or not it's sexual, whatever the situation is that you're staying in that relationship, you play a role in it. And everybody, don't, people don't want to hear that sometimes, but we do. We play a role in it. Because everyone plays a role in staying in abuse. Whether it's learned, you've learned to be helpless, whether it's a financial security, fear, whether it's sexual, whether you have children and you, and you, and you don't know where you're going to go. So a need is being met to stay. Believe that. A need Correct. is being Okay? The second one is you have to seek some kind of help, some kind of assistance for you and your children. Maybe you can talk to somebody. You know, I went to therapy, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I went to therapy. And sometimes people say, oh, therapy, oh, shucks, we need therapy. All of us need some kind of therapy. So I went to some assistance or some kind of therapy talking and getting it out with someone you can use. That's important to talk to someone. The third step is you have to look and say, I choose to be free. I choose to be free from being abused and being a victim. We have to stop thinking like a victim. You have a choice. We all have a choice. Yes, you do. You always have a choice. The choices that you have may not be the best choices, but you always have a choice. Or being abused, okay? It's not like, ooh, it's so easy. But these are the steps that you have to take. The fourth step is you have to choose what you want and not what you don't want. It's easier to choose the positive of what you want than to fight against the negative of what you don't want. Focus on your wants and start to implement them one at a time. Make constant decisions and conscious choices daily not to be a victim. for your choices, which gives you an authority every time you choose the best for yourself. So these are things that you have to do when you start working on getting out of abusive relationships. You have to really start. You know, this is what you do as you begin to move forward. Before you move forward, I'm going to give you all some things. Let me stop you real fast, if that's okay. So I appreciate you sharing that five steps because that was beautiful. And that is so true that you need all this. I, I, I commend you for even having the layout. And I know this is what you teach to your um your clients that come to you who's dealing with domestic violence and want to get out. But I have one question I wanted to ask you, and it slipped my mind. Shoot, I should have wrote it down. 
um, oh, one more question. I want to ask you a question pertaining to these here five steps that you shared. How how do a person like myself? So let's say I see someone going through domestic violence, and sometimes, like you said, a person has to admit first that they are a abuser, just like a person has to admit like they're alcohol. So let's say, how do if I notice my sister is being going through domestic violence, how do I reach out to someone to try to help them so they can see what I see? What advice would you give somebody like me who wants to help somebody who's going through this? All right. The first thing, and this is a hard, this is a hard, hard thing to do sometimes. And I've had people ask the question. And what I tell them is, has not admitted to being abused. A lot of times you can't go in there and say, can't you see this? Can't you do this? Because what's going to happen is they're going to reject you. And that's the hard part. It's so hard sometimes to watch this. But until a person admits that they're being abused, there's nothing you can you can do something, but let me tell you what you can do. But you can't go in there. Can't you see you being abused? Because that's not going to work. They're going to reject that. What you have to do is you have to talk with them and say, Hey, you know, I was uh, I was listening to this program and they were talking about abuse on there, and I was like, Oh my goodness, I I, I I've learned some things. Let me tell you some of the things I've learned. Hey. Oh, wow, it was really a great experience, something like that. Or one of my books, and I tell people, uh, my book, Suffering in Silence, will say I've had people to take that book and say, you know, I was just reading this book, that and the other, about abuse, and I realized, wow, I didn't know it was three stages in the in the, uh, in, in abuse, and you, you know, or something like that, and then accidentally leave the book there at your friend's or your sister's house or whomever. At, at, you know, accidentally leave the book there on the table or whatever. Accidentally do that. See, the thing is you've got to put hints out. You can't. I, I, I love that. You've got to put hints out, and that's all you can do. You can't go directly, especially if they haven't admitted that they've been abused, okay? You can't do that. Yes, ma'am. Thank thank you for sharing that. And you know what? As you were saying that, you know what comes to mind is almost kind of like planting a seed. Just like you said, an alcoholic. If you have somebody who is have a certain type of addiction, unfortunately it sounds like it's addiction. It's addiction, but you don't realize that it's addiction, but it's addiction that you have put upon yourself that you have received it and accepted. So it's almost kind of like if you're dealing with someone who have an alcohol problem or a drug problem or a cigarette problem, they know it's not good for them, but they still want it. They haven't accepted, like you said, haven't put it in their mind to realize, you know what, I'm done with this. This is not good for me. This is not healthy for me. I'm unhappy. I'm miserable with this until they admit it, like you said, ain't nothing the outside person can do. Or like you just said, plant a seed. Let them know how beautiful they are. Just kind of encouraging them 
to empower themselves just with little tiny little seeds. And like you said, having your book, you know, and, and sharing about what you just read or what you just heard, but just continue keep planting the seed. And hopefully that the water nurtures that seed and something comes out of it where the person ends up starting to uh, uh, reflect on themselves to make a change. So is, that's pretty much what you're saying. Is that what you're saying? They can see themselves because they have to realize that. It has to come to realization. It has to come to them. But you can, as you put hints out there, as you throw things out there, and you pray that they will be able to connect the dots. And then eventually if they come to you and say, you know, uh, I'd like to get more information about this, and then that's when you share. You can't coerce anyone in to doing anything. And that's the and that's the uh the downside to this is that you can't just go in and just say, you know, you're gonna do this or you have, that's not gonna work. So you can't do that. You see it but it's until they see it, you have to like you know, do it in baby steps. Do it in baby steps. You know, lead You know, I just want to say this, Tifa, thank you so much for that information, especially in five steps, you know, and hopefully the audience who's listening can actually um, uh, let this digest and let this marinate for anybody who might be going through this or maybe have a loved one who experiences it. So thank you so much because sometimes we don't know when we see it because we always want the best for somebody else. You know, you want for your sister what you want for yourself. And if you're happy, you want everybody else to be happy. But like you say, you can't do anything until that person admitted or see for themselves and want out. So thank you for sharing that. And then you also mentioned about in 2011 you have an agency called Healthy Positive Choice. Can you share a little bit about that? Uh, it's, it's used as a preventive tool to help teens and young adults to, to help them or to, or to educate them on the detriment of domestic abuse. And I've gone into high schools, and I've shared this information with teens. I have a workbook, a teen workbook, where I share with teens before they get into uh, domestic abusive relationships. So we use it as a preventive tool rather than, you know, in a, someone's in an abuse, we still work with because we've done that. But we use it more as a preventive tool to talk to teens, talk to young adults before they've actually uh, gotten full-blown into a domestic violence relationship. So that's what we, we, we work at um, as a preventive tool. And, uh, and then let me just share one little last thing, Charmaine, if I can, um, for the listening audience. If you decide that you're ready to go, if you if you decide that you're ready to leave an abusive relationship, these are some of the things that you have to do before you leave. Tell a trustworthy friend, a relative, or let someone know. Seek counseling. Talk to someone and let them know that you're being abused. Have several places set up if you need to get away quickly, like you were saying, your aunt. Kids had a backpack. You know, they had somewhere to go. So if you have somewhere, always make sure 
that you have somewhere to go so you can get away quickly. You know, keep uh, keep someone on um, on that speed dial. Build up a monetary reserve, a working cell phone without the abuser's knowledge. Have a little, you know, cell phone somewhere where nobody else knows that number. And have a monetary, which is a little money, somewhere saved. Not in the bank, just somewhere saved where you know that the abuser does not have knowledge of that. Have the number of local shelters, a trusted friend or family on speed dial. You know, hit that number, and their number is on speed dial. And sometimes if you have to get a restraining order, get that if that's necessary. Because you know, according to statistics, most people turn to abusive relationships at least seven times, at least seven times before they actually leave an abusive relationship and never to return if they get out. Wow. I didn't know seven times. Wow. Yeah, seven times, at least seven times. So, so let me ask you a question. I know you mentioned about there's three stages of abuse. Can you share that one real fast? Yes, ma'am. The first one is tension building. That's number one. That's when the tension begins to build relationships, like you're walking on eggshells. You have to make sure that you're not disturbing the, uh, the abuser, Okay. Uh, the next one is is we have uh, in stage one, remember her anger. You nurture the partner's needs. You try to keep everything quiet so you don't want to upset that the abuser. Number two is this is when abuse takes place. And as we stated, abuse is not only physical. You have emotional abuse. Uh, mental silence, ignoring you, because the aim of the emotional abuse is to chip away at your self-worth and independence, leaving you feeling helpless. Then you have verbal, name-calling, condescending, putting you down. Then you have financial abuse, withholding money, accountable for every dime you spend. Then you have sexual only for the abuser's gratification. There's no consideration for the victim. Spiritual abuse, no choice of what religion or what or how to worship. You have to do it according to the abuser. Social abuse, limited or no contact with friends, family, or social activities. Digital or cyber abuse. It's all, it's a growing problem today, like the social media, social media hacking into your emails, your Facebook, and to pretend to be that person or for harmful purposes, causing emotional, it's social media, it ties into the social media. You can text that, sending text that is disrespectful. This lowers the self-esteem of the victim, and the abuser gains the upper hand over the other person by 
always having that control. So that was one of the uh, that was the second abuse when abuse actually takes place. And then the third stage is the honeymoon stage. And in the honeymoon stage, there's makeup time, apologies and emotionalism, crying occurs, romance is in the air. Person is crying, bringing you presents, saying they'll never do it again. This is the most deceptive. And why is it the most deceptive? Because it's when you let your guard down. This is the most disguised one of all. The victim, the person who's being abused, hopes for change. But the abuser, the one who's doing the abuser, has to want to change. The victim can only help him or herself, not the abuser. This is the danger because the victim feels that their love is strong enough to change the abuser. But it doesn't happen because it has to be remembered change. That person has to want to admit that they're an abuser. And it doesn't happen. At that moment, they're sorry, but they have nothing that's changed. So therefore, what's going to happen, it will eventually, the cycle will begin all over again. So there are three stages in the cycle of abuse. You have attention builders, the when the abuse happens, um, happens to take place, and we've listed a lot of all of the uh, um, the abuse. And then the last stage is the honeymoon, which is the most deceptive because, like I said, the guards are down, everybody love is in the air, and you're saying, oh, my gosh, this person really wants to change. He loves me or she loves me. And then after the honeymoon stage is over, guess what? It's all over again. That's why we call it a cycle, because it doesn't end unless you that cycle. And that's why I said that I think. Thank, thank you so much. Wow, that you know what? That was powerful. I mean, you just dropped a lot of information, you know, and I just want to just thank you, and we got to wrap it up soon because um, time, well, we're almost done with our hour, but you know, you said some really um, important things, especially the beginning part, the attention abuser, and then being afraid to upset the abuser, and then you talked about the social abuser where you can't go spiritual abuser of selecting what religion that you should be a part of, sexual abuser, verbally, financial. I mean, I have heard it all, and it's like so many people go through this. You know, I have talked to women for the past 39 years of my life because I've been life coaching, not knowing that I was a life coach, but it just happened, and I've been in training, and so many women come to me about all these different issues that they had and didn't know, and they probably didn't even know it was domestic violence, or at least a little glimpse of these stages of domestic violence or what they can't do or what their husband won't allow them to do. So I want to just say thank you so much for even sharing this. And, you know, sad thing about it, so many people being hacked right now and don't know who the hacker is hacking you and taking control of your computer, your laptop, your email, and everything, and it's sad right now. But um, but also I want to just share one thing with you. You know, sometimes people think a man is the abuser, 
And sometimes that is not the case all the time. And if you can just drop maybe about two, we got seven minutes left. If you can just maybe two minutes to share and let the audience know that it's not always a man being an abuser, it is women who abuse men as well. Have you had any clients like that? Uh, yes, yes, ma'am. There are. It was a woman that asked me one time. She said, can I be an abuser? And I just kind of looked at her. She says, I can't be an abuser, can I? Because I'm a woman. That we have a misconception of uh, abuse. And just because you're a woman doesn't mean that you cannot be an abuser. The U.S. survey indicates that young women are three times as likely to admit hitting their partner as men. One in seven women aged 15 to 22 admit to hitting their partner compared to just one in 20 men. And, you know, this culture that we live in, it gives you that impression that it's cute or empowering or even sexy when women hit men. But if we have a scene where it's reversed, would say the man is abusive. And according to the most recent British crime survey, as much as a third of domestic violence in the UK is women on or male on female. So the sizes of the abusers and amount of blood present doesn't uh, measure the effect of violence because condescending, control, or intimidation is all a part of abuse. When it comes to emotional abuse, men are affected more by emotional than physical abuse. So women, uh, they remember abuse are in the ones that I named earlier. And women emotionally abuse men more than physically abuse them. But they do, some of them physically abuse them, hit them, knock them down, you know, uh, do all kinds of different things. But the emotional is what women do more so than anything. You ain't nothing, you are never mounting nothing, you ain't nothing, you are no good, so-and-so, or whatever the case may be with that. They throw things. They, you know, throw things and they break things and they do these type of things. Now, that's what I'm saying, that that is abuse. And we have to get out of our head that physical abuse is the only abuse. Because as you, as I've stated before, you have social abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse, you know, uh, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. There's so many abuse, so many ways that you can abuse a person. So let's open our minds Absolutely. up and see that there's so many other ways. Yes. Well, well thank you again, Latifa. I know we got to wrap it up. we got three minutes left. And real fast, if you can just share uh, how people can reach out to you if there's someone that's listening or know someone who might be going through it and maybe need someone to talk to or maybe share your book. How can people get a hold of you, contact you, and what's your website, and go from there? Can you share that real fast? Right. Yes, yes. Um, you, again, you can go on um, Amazon uh, and then put Latifa, L-A-T-I-F, 
F like in Father, A-H, last name H-A-M as in Mary, E-E-N. That is, if you go to Amazon, you can put that in. Also, I have my website, HealthyPositiveChoices.com, HealthyPositiveChoices.com, all together. And then I also have a website where I do relationship coaching, PowerfulChoicesNow.com, PowerfulChoicesNow.com. And if you would like to reach me, I'm at 469-288-288. Sorry, three two three three again. Four six nine two eight eight three two three three. Four six nine two eight eight three two three three. You can leave a message, or you can text me. Um, and also, again, and my email is l a hamid h a m e e n at h is in Harry, p is in Paul which is Healthy Positive Choices, plural, C-H-O-I-C-E-S dot O-R-G. Again, L-A-Hameen at H is in Harry, P is in Paul, choices, plural, dot org. You can reach me on the email. Okay. Okay, got it. Okay. Thank you so much, Latif. Okay, so we've got to wrap it up. I just want to just thank the audience again for tuning in to Real Talk, Real People, Real Conversation with Charmaine. This is about Domestic Violence Awareness Month with Sister Latifa Hameen. Just want to let you know this podcast is recorded, and so she left all her information. She left some powerful gems, and most importantly, she left for us to be able to know how and what to do if we see someone going through domestic violence of how we can approach them by planting seeds until they actually admit that they have problems. So, again, Sister Latifah, I just want to thank you for this opportunity that we touch the hearts and the souls of those who might be listening. In the meantime, have a beautiful day. And thank you, audience, and I look forward to see you next Thursday. God bless, and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, and you're so welcome, and bye. Thank you so much.